This morning again we're going to pick up uh, our study in Acts and we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 verse 7. Acts 20 verse 7. Uh, the title of the message is Bound in the Spirit. Bound in the Spirit. Last time we saw that uh, Paul purposed in the Spirit. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Um, Timothy and Erastus sent, went before him. Um, remember that we saw that the worship of Diana was disrupted. There's rioting. Those guys who made idols for a living ended up uh, not liking it so much when people came to know the Lord. Not liking it so much when the demon-possessed girl um, uh, was no longer possessed. Um, and these people pursued Paul, and they raised up a giant riot. And we remember seeing that that happened. The whole city was in uproar, right? Um, but we know that uh, worship of false gods always leads to confusion. That the crowd was confused that when they were fighting each other and shouting that they didn't even know really what the whole point of the reason why everyone was there. They got kind of caught up in the wind of what was going on. And we talked about the confusion in our society where our society is even so caught up in idolatry. They may not have realized it's idolatry, but that's what it is, to where they're confused over uh, what restroom to use, over how they quote-unquote identify themselves. And, and really the problem there is is that our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is, is in God. And when we turn to something else or someone else to define us, to give us an identity, we're only bound to be lost and confused because God is the one who made us. And if God made us, well, he knows exactly who we are to be, what we are to be, and where we are to be it. And uh, if we're not seeking him for that answer, of course, we're going to be confused. Um, but uh, before I get on a soapbox for that one, you know, the uproar ends up being calmed down, but the ministry continues on there for a little while. But this morning, as we get into our study, um, what are you and I bound to? Good or bad? Good or bad? Are we bound to our marriage in a good way? You know, you wear a wedding ring and you're bound. Maybe you feel bound to your marriage. I don't feel that way. Maybe my wife feels that way. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I don't, think she does. I don't think she does. But uh, maybe you feel bound to work. You know, either in a good way or a bad way. You, you know, uh, Mia will ask me in the morning sometimes, why are you going to work, Daddy? And I'll say, because I have to. You know, I'm bound to. I made an agreement with them. They agree to pay me for a certain amount of work, and I agree to show up and do that work. You know, it's this uh, symbiotic relationship. Uh, maybe you feel bound to a relationship. Maybe there's a friend that you've gone through things with, and, and you want to be there for them. Maybe they're there going through a hard thing, and you feel bound to be there for them. Maybe they feel that way about you. Maybe it's responsibility. Certain things you feel responsible to do, you're bound to. And those things can be good or bad. Good or bad being bound, you know, maybe you're in a bad relationship or, uh, or a good relationship. Uh, but what about debt? You know, I think a lot of people in our society are bound to debt, are bound to credit card debt, to student debt, to student loans, to a mortgage. And again, not that there's anything really wrong with using a credit card or having a mortgage or having student loans. Um, so to speak, if, if, um, especially if you sought the Lord of them. But I think a lot of people do get bound on it. You know, I saw a commercial the other day about someone, uh, you know, being, they said that the, we share this common burden of medical student loans. And well, you know, yeah, I'm sure it is a huge burden. I can't imagine. You know, thankfully, um, uh, we're out of debt. We've uh, done a lot of work to pay off the debt. God's provided a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I've been looking for a new car and I'm still kind of like, well, I don't know if I really want to get a new car. I don't know that I want to go into debt again. Even if it's responsible debt and good debt, it's still kind of kind of scary. And again, not that, you know, if you're in it, not that there's, uh, it's the end of the world, but 
in a sense, it does bind us from perhaps getting up and moving. If you have a mortgage, you can't just get up and move sometimes. I've heard stories where uh, God's led people and they had a mortgage and they put the house up for sale and the house sells in a couple days or a couple weeks, these things that happen. Um, but uh, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes we get into situations that can bind us. Uh, maybe it's bankruptcy or bad credit or maybe it's a criminal history. You're bound because you used to be bound. Maybe you can't do certain things um, or get a job somewhere because you have this history that, that binds you. And hopefully not, that's, hopefully not that's any of us this morning. If it is, um, you know, God certainly has a way of, of getting us free from all things and getting us through situations where we feel bound. You know, I shared a couple weeks ago where I felt like I was bound to a job years ago and, and now, lo and behold, I'm not there anymore. And I thought it would never be over. Um, but it is. Uh, but this morning, you know, are we slaves to Christ? You know, if, if we're bound to so many things in the world, bound to a sports team, bound to a job, bound to a spouse, um, you know, if Jesus has paid all our debt, Jesus has freed us, shouldn't we be bound to him and bound to the things that he has for us? You know, Romans 6, uh, 5 through 18, I'm going to read uh, a couple snippets of it here. It says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And it goes on later on and says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. And here's a... The real point that I think we're trying to look at this morning is that do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that through that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine of which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That this morning we're going to see that Paul feels bound in the spirit to something. And I think that because we've been freed from sin, we need to give ourselves as slaves to righteousness. That we're going to be a slave to something in this life. We're going to be bound to something in this life. Let it be a good binding. Let it be something that we're bound to the Lord. As Jesus said, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And as we get into the scripture, let's, uh, let's <coughs> excuse me, once again, let's pray once again. Father, thank you again for your word. And we pray that you would bind us to your word. That God, uh, we would hide it in our hearts, and Lord, we would uh, see our relationship with you as one that we want to be tighter and tighter and tighter, and not one that we wish to be loose from. God, and we love you, and thank you for that. Thank you that you'll never let us go. And we love you, God, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and we'll read uh, five verses to start together. Verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Uh, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was uh, overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But uh, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for this life is in him. Now when he had come up, he had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while. Even until daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. 
you know, so if you see this, the story here that it's Sunday, um, they're eating together, possibly taking communion together, they're breaking bread. Um, Paul's getting ready to leave the next day. Um, but they're together. The disciples got together. Apparently they get together a lot, and this is something that was going on. But Paul speaks, and he continues until midnight. You know, maybe this wasn't a planned sermon. Hey, guys, let's get together. Paul's going to share with us. But probably they were getting together. They were going to eat. They were going to fellowship. Um, and Paul begins to speak. You know, like I said, it wasn't planned. You know, he begins to speak, and he speaks until midnight. That's a long, that's a long night. That's all. He had a lot to say about I don't know if you ever had like long talks with friends or talking with friends, uh, spiritual debates or conversations. Um, you know, a friend and I were at the pastor's conference last week and a couple friends came sort of last minute and I got to talking with one of them and he was sharing with me this conversation that he and a couple friends were having and they ended up talking after church for hours about it and we ended up talking for like an hour or so about it and it was just a really good conversation where, um, you know, not where it was a spiritual debate in a bad sense, but it was really, let's, you know, let's think about this. Let's consider these things about the word. Um, and it was good. And we just kept talking. I, kept, I think we could have talked about it for hours and hours and hours. And it would have been good. Um, uh, you know, um, sorry, my, my mouth is bothering me today. So I'm a little discombobulated. But he, we, they talk and you talk about it for a long time, you know. Um, and midnight was a long time for them. Um, and I think Paul had a lot to say before he left. He said he was leaving, and we'll see here some more about his leaving. Um, you know, that God is obviously calling him out. But he had a lot to say and a lot to share, and he wanted to get it all out. Um, and I think sometimes us too, if, if before we go somewhere... Sorry, my, I've got like a, a sore in my tongue that's really hurting me. But um, they were hanging out, and um, you know, if you ever hang out the last night of school... Or summer or a trip before moving over here, hang out with friends. And I remember in high school, you know, like, or in elementary school, you know, maybe you'd stay over at a friend's house or it'd be like the last night before going off to school. Or I remember being in college and it was like the last couple nights before um, the semester would be over. My roommate and I would stay up and hang out and play video games. We know we wouldn't see each other for a while. You know, we'd purposely do things together because we knew that we didn't have a lot of time coming and same thing moving down here we'd spend a lot of time with our family and friends and stay up late and have going away parties and things because we loved each other and we cared about each other we wanted to spend this time together you know and you might say things that you might not normally say in another way you might tell someone how much you love them or how much you care about them or share something that maybe has been on your heart for a while um i know it's been the case with us and with others um you know when that time comes you really begin to uh you realize how much you've had and how much, um, you know, sometimes we take it for granted sometimes when it's always before us. Um, you know, Ashley's sister and her husband and their kids uh, stopped by. They were on their way, moving down to North Carolina, checking out a place, and they stopped by. And it was so good to see them. And, you know, they leave a couple hours later because they're on the way back to New York, and you miss them more because, you know, you don't see them so often. But when you see them all the time, you don't really realize that. I think some of that's going on here is that, Paul had a lot to say. He was moving. He was moving on. And he began to share with them more and more scriptures. And I think that was Paul's heart always anyway, is that whenever he was with the other believers, he was going to strengthen them and share something with them. And that was another one of the good things about the pastor's conference was just these conversations that we would get into um, just around a meal or hanging out. But it said that many lamps were gathered together. So it was probably pretty bright in there. You know, I don't know how many how bright it really was because it's candles and lamps. But at least that there were many in there. So you could see, it's not like it was completely dark. 
Um, but it reminds me of the opening statements in Revelation where we see Jesus walking between the lampstands, between the churches. And I think, wow, you know, Jesus is in this. That as they're up, staying late, eating, having their dessert, breaking bread, Paul is sharing, God is moving among them. But this poor guy, Eutychus, this young man, and his name means well-fated or fortunate, and we'll see, I think he's pretty fortunate uh, in what happens here. Um, but he falls asleep. He falls into a deep sleep. He's hanging out. You know, they got the windows open. They don't have central air like we do. So he's sitting in the window, the breeze, you know, you get that nice summer breeze. I don't know if you guys remember being in school and there's like this perfect temperature that would just knock you out. I was kind of in English class always all the time, but he falls asleep. And, you know, yesterday for me, I was super tired and I just passed out in the middle of the day and slept for a few hours. Um, I can remember friends uh, falling asleep and, you know, you'd have to kick them or they fall asleep in the car ride home and try and wake them up and they wouldn't want to get up. You know, young men tend to pass out. I remember sleeping for hours on end in high school and college, you know, just like something I just did was just sleeping. You know, I, I can't do that anymore. And even if I do, it's like, it's a waste, but, um, but young men like to sleep. And this guy, he's in the window, he falls asleep and he ends up falling out. He ends up falling out. You know, we're on the second story here on this balcony and I wouldn't want to think about falling off of that, but he's on the third story. So he falls pretty far. Um, and so they go down and they find out that, that he's dead, that he's dead. And it says that Paul revives him, that Paul goes down and revives him, as we'll see. And if this is familiar because he lays on him. And if you guys remember the story of Elisha in the Old Testament with the Shunammites boy in 2 Kings 4. And uh, we'll read it real quick just because I think it's a good story uh, to remember. 2 Kings 4, 8-37, it says, Now it happened one day that Elisha sent to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is the holy man of God who passes us regularly. Let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in here. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned in the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood by before him. And he said to her, say not, or look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? So he had been passing by. He stayed with them a few times. And this woman and her husband, they obviously had a little bit of room, maybe a little bit of money. And said, hey, he's always coming through. Let's build a little room for him. Let's turn you know, the back room into a little guest room for him. And so they come to stay there, and he wants to, to thank her somehow. Um, so he said, what is it? Uh, oh, sorry. So he said to them, say not we're looking at this concern with us. Sorry. She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what is it then that can we do for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said to her, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then she said, about this time next year you shall embrace the son. She said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys. They may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither a new, morn, new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. 
And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is everything okay? Is it well with your husband or is it well with the child? And she answered, It's well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask my ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. But Elisha came into the house, and there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord, and went up and lay on the child, and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and came back forth to the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times. That's interesting. And the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came to him, into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And that's a, I read a long story, but I think it's interesting that as Elisha, this prophet in the Old Testament, who was Elijah's protege, who asked for a double portion of God's spirit, brings a boy back to life in the same sense, where this woman didn't even have a son. God blesses her with a son, and then the, the son ends up dying. Um, but Elisha brings him back. And we see here that, not that this is a formula, if someone dies, just to lay on them and you know stretch out. Um, not that it's CPR or anything, but, but that you know there's an interesting connection here be, between the, the breath and the life. But we see here that Paul does the same thing. That uh, this, this boy, he goes out there and Paul lays on him and uh, the boy comes back to life and Paul uh, breathes. And again, not that it's a formula, but it's interesting that this boy survives. This boy survives. You know, uh, Paul says that his life is in him. You know, did he barely survive? Was he just really hurt? I don't know. I would lean towards more that he was dead. But uh, maybe I think Paul knew that God would save him, that, that God would save this boy. Um, but he goes back, he eats now, he breaks bread. You know, maybe Paul was talking so long that his plate of food got cold and he ended up heating it up at three in the morning. I don't know. Um, uh, and I think that that's good. Sometimes if we get caught up and we forget the meal in front of us uh, while we're sharing, I think that that's good. But he leaves at daybreak and he doesn't get any sleep. And I think the best part is that this young man is fine. And it says that they're all comforted. And the word comforted is paracleo. And I think maybe it would have been too much for them to handle to lose Paul and this boy to have this tragedy happen. Um, but God wasn't done with this boy yet. You know, that he wanted to use this comfort and healing and miracles. And I think it's important that, you know, that we do get comfort in the fact that God does want to protect our loved ones. Um, you know, we, we know that, that people are going to die and people are going to be hurt for the gospel. But I know that I find comfort knowing that when I'm following the Lord, I'm going in the direction of the Lord, that my family is protected. You know, I, I fear the thought of... Um, giving up on the call of God and going somewhere else and, and always having to worry, is my family going to be okay? Because at least I know if something happens to them here, that at least I know I'm here because God wanted to be here. And I was, you know what I mean? That they're in his protection and in um, his care. Not that he wouldn't care for them else, elsewise, but I think you know what I'm trying to say there. Let's go on to verse 13. 
says, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day we came opposite to Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at uh, Trogilium. Next day we came to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And you definitely hear Luke's voice as the writer coming through here. Uh, but the crew, you know, like I said, obviously with Luke, they meet up with Paul and they continue sailing on. You know, all these destinations, if you're familiar with Greece and Turkey, um, it's on the eastern uh, GNC, uh, on the Turkey side, all these islands and little things that are in there and these port destinations that they go through there. Um, but the, he decides to pass by Ephesus. You know, we had seen him in Ephesus earlier. We know that Paul established a church there. Timothy would later be pastor at Ephesus. Um, but that uh, he was really set on getting to Jerusalem. And I think sometimes we really don't have time to do everything, maybe everything people expect us to do, or maybe everything we even want to do. You know, on our last trip to New York for a wedding, we really had a tight time schedule between the wedding, between seeing, making sure we saw family, between getting to different church services up there, uh, that there was a lot of things. We wish we could have seen everybody and gone to everybody's house and visited everybody while we were up there. But uh, we just couldn't. We, you know, we had to say, well, this is what we have to do. This is what we need to do. Um, and to try and not make the, try and keep the, the trip restful at the same time. But Paul was hurrying. And I think that being in a rush, in a sense, can sometimes be spiritual. You know, I think it's just how we rush that really determines that. You know, Paul was trying to get uh, to Jerusalem for Pentecost. That was the 50th day. Um, uh, and it was the second of the three great Jewish feasts, if we remember, celebrated in Jerusalem yearly. But he was rushing to get there in time. It's not like, you know, it's not like a movie that'll be out for two or three months. You know, you want to go see the movie, you don't necessarily have to go opening night. Paul had to be there opening night for Pentecost. And he did not want to miss that. And I think that's important that uh, when God does put something in our heart, that we do rush forward in that um, when he does give us the go-ahead. Uh, I think in a practical sense, I remember when we were setting up church and breaking it down all the time, that you get into conversations with people as you're doing it. And, uh, you know, they might not have the same sense of urgency that you do, that, oh, service starts in 15 minutes, or we have to be out of here in an hour, so we have to load up the truck, or they may not have these same sense of urgencies, and they're just talking to you. So after a while, you kind of have to say, hey, walk with me, or hey, why don't you help me with this? I can't, you know, you wouldn't say, I can't just stand around and talk to you, but... I want to keep talking to you, but I have to do this as well. And I think that that's Paul's here, that as much as he wants to, to see there and visit them, he can't go there and see them and visit them. He has to be on his way. And I think it's important that uh, on our spiritual missions in life, that we are quick to do them and that we don't get sidetracked and um, uh, slowed down uh, by other pursuits. Let's go on in verse 17. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So even though Paul couldn't go there to them, he still wanted to see them. So he called them uh, to him. And uh, verse 18 says, When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I might finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone, excuse me, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So, you know, like I said, Paul still couldn't resist. He calls the elders of the church to Ephesus with them. You know, as he's going on, as we see here, God begins to reveal things to him about the next season of his life. And he needs to share things with them. He needs to speak to them, even if he can't go to them. Uh, but he says that um, the manner that he lived with them, he says, you know, you all know how I lived among you. And I think it's important that the manner in which we live among other believers and unbelievers, that the manner of our life is an example. The manner in which we conduct ourselves is uh, not only behooving to the gospel, but to those who would hear it and to those that would see it as an example to live by. You know, I heard at the pastor's conference um, Obviously, you know, whether you're a pastor or a worship leader or a missionary or whatever, that's a title. But first and foremost, we're, we're all Christians. We're all believers. And the, the life of a pastor is meant to be an example life of a Christian. That it's not just this teaching and sharing and whatever, but their life, our lives are supposed to be examples of what a Christian life uh, is supposed to be. And, and that's very sobering. But Paul says here very confidently that his life was an example. You know how much um, I lived among you and, and worked among you, he says. And he says that he served the Lord with all humility. I don't know that we can always say that. You know, I think that sometimes we get caught up in ourselves. We go, I'm too good for that, or that's beneath me, or uh, whatever the case may be. We all have attitudes and times, and they get in there. Um, And I think that's because we lose sight of who we're serving, of who we're serving. It's not man. It's not the church, in a sense, primarily. Um, And it's not ourselves. It's Jesus. That when when we remember who we're serving and why we're serving him, that all these other things can come through in humility. You know, if they ask you to, to, to plunge the toilet at church and you remember that you're serving and you're doing it for Jesus, you'll probably do it and maybe feel a little nauseous, but you'll do it with a sense of joy somewhere in you. Maybe even a sense of humility. But if you're doing it for the other people, if you're doing it to gain position, you're going to walk around and, and, you know, either say, I'm not doing that or, or try and get some sort of glory for doing something um, that has no glory in it. <coughs> But with all that's happened to Paul, you know, I think it's interesting that he just sums up all that trouble with words, the two words, tears and trials, tears and trials. You know, we've been reading for chapter upon chapter about stuff that's happened to Paul, about persecutions, about beatings, about riots, about being arrested. And he just says tears and trials. And I think, again, that's humility. You know, he's not bitter. He's not seeking a pity party. He's not seeking a plaque to go on the wall. Hey, leaders from Ephesus, bring me something to hang up, you know. Um, but he's saying, hey, look, this is the stuff that God has brought me through. And I know that he's bringing me into more of it. Um, but he says that he kept back nothing that was helpful, that he taught them everything, he gave them everything. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that, he's, that he quantifies that by saying that that was helpful. And I think sometimes certain quote-unquote doctrines aren't really helpful or necessary for edification. I'm not saying that in the right place. Like I was talking about with my friend, you can talk about certain things and discuss certain things, and it is helpful but he says that, you know, when he shared the gospel with people, he used simple words. He, was, he shared the gospel and got it out there. You know, he, he shared what was helpful with them. I think also personally and physically, there's things about his life that he probably shared with them 
that maybe he wouldn't share with everybody or things that he didn't share with them that he would only share with certain people. And I think sometimes we think that, um, yeah, a pastor's life needs to be an open book, but a pastor doesn't need to share everything from the pulpit. Yeah, if someone asks him about his life, he should be able to share it. But in a sense, it's not always helpful to know everything personal about a pastor. It helps to know some things. Um, you know, thankfully in a smaller setting, you get to really know each other better. But when it comes down to it, we don't really know, need to know all the details about everyone's life because it's not helpful. We end up looking at the man instead of uh, Jesus. We end up thinking that our lives need to be exactly like that man's life instead of the, the one that he's pointing us to. And I think with that, sometimes giving too much of ourselves isn't helpful either. Sometimes people expect um, a pastor to do too much. Now, I've never really fallen into this camp um, where I've been on the receiving end of it, but I've seen guys who people expect this person to do every little thing, and they just can't do it. And, you know, that's why there's other pastors. That's why there's deacons. You know, um, and it really wears in their life. You know, a lot of the advice I, I got um, and was given to me uh, when I became a pastor was, man, make sure you keep your family. Make sure you spend time with your family. Make sure your family has priority because. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the ministry to where you end up missing out on a lot of the, the small things that your children go through and the lives of your children when they're little. That, you know, there was a lot of the advice I got was to not miss that and to keep them a priority because they should be their priority. They should be. But he says here um, that he taught publicly and from house to house. And I think that there is a place for both. You know, that obviously when persecution comes, the church is going to go underground, like, you know, we heard at the different conferences last weekend. Um, I think it's also going to weed out the tares when it goes back underground where the people who would just come just to come really aren't going to come anymore when it's in a house. Um, but he taught the same thing in both places, publicly and privately. And I think that that's huge. It's, it's sometimes um, it's easy to be very different publicly than you are privately. You know, I hear stories of people are totally different on TV than they are in real life or vice versa. Um, but just how important it is that we do things publicly and we do things privately. That there is, just like a relationship, there's a time for my wife and I to go out and have a date publicly. And there's a time for us to sit on the couch and eat popcorn and sweatpants and watch a movie. You know, there is a time for that public and private relationship. And with us, I think that the Lord would lead us to do things more publicly. I think that the Lord would bring us to do things more publicly. And I pray, and I pray that we all will be praying for the right steps and the right place to do that publicly. That it wouldn't be us proclaiming ourselves it would be us proclaiming the gospel but he says here he goes on he says that both jews and greeks received the same thing you know that they were to do two things to repent towards god and put their faith in jesus i think it's interesting that he frames it that way because god sent jesus and if we're rejecting jesus we're rejecting god so we really need to repent towards him but we do that by putting our faith in jesus in verse 22 he says he goes bound in the spirit to jerusalem and the word bound is deo. It means to bind or to fasten, to fasten with chains, to throw into chains, uh, to put under obligation of the law, duty, etc. To be bound, like such, to a wife or a husband, or to forbid or prohibit or declare, uh, illicit, you know, to stay away from something. Um, but Paul knew that he was bound. Paul knew that, you know, in order to be obedient to God, in or, the pressing and the leading of God in his life was to go down there, was to go back to Jerusalem. And he, just, he opens up this whole talk about you know how I lived among you. You know about the trials and the persecutions and the tears I had because of the plotting of the Jews. And where's he going? The capital of Judaism. He's going to Jerusalem. He knows that there's going to be things ahead of him. He knows that things are going to happen to him. Um, 
but he knew he had to go. He knew he had to go. And I think that, um, you know, God begins to confirm this to him. He says that in every city that the Holy Spirit confirmed him that there were going to be chains and he was going to get bound up maybe in his devotional time. Maybe as he was going somewhere, he got more persecution. Maybe as he was going somewhere, people shared with him and talked with him. You know, he had walked for part of this journey. I'm sure he just needed to collect his thoughts and get his thoughts together and just, uh, really get geared up for where he was going. Um, but I think that that's quite the send-off. Quite the send-off. Quite a confirmation. I think that God God does call us somewhere. And when he does, or to do something or to reach someone, that we need to do it, or will we do it? But God begins to give us a leading at, at the, what the next season is. You know, when my friend and I were talking at the conference, we were, he was talking about how he's in this really great season, but he senses that it's coming to a close and that God's got something for him next. And I think that that happens in all of our lives, that as we go through seasons, God will begin to minister to us about what maybe is coming next. I mean, maybe we don't get the play-by-play, but we get the sense that a season is ending and another season is coming. And again, that, that ties into you know not being lost. The more time we spend with God, our Creator, the one who's in control, the more we begin to really get a grasp on life, so to speak. And yeah, you know, I, was, I would say that I feel like I don't know what I'm doing a lot of times, but that's okay because it causes me to turn to the Lord. And in that sense, um, I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, but with that, when God calls us to do something, to reach someone, do we do it? Do we do it? Even when it's promised of being good or famous or something. But when he confirms over and over that it's going to be a hard time, do we still do it? When we go forward, he says, ah, it's probably going to be a rough season. Ah, it's probably going to be hard. Do we do it? Or what about completely impossible? You know, that you're going to be arrested or beaten again. You know, maybe, I've never been arrested for the faith. And, you know, I remember hearing this past weekend uh, or in times past about people being arrested or beaten for their faith. And they continue going for it. They know that that's all they face in their certain region, and yet they continue going. They, like they say, like Paul says, he doesn't count his life dear to himself. I don't know that that uh, I'd be that willing and obedient to do that. I hope so, but I don't know. Um, we talk about churches or Christians in the Middle East. You know, we don't have it hard. We don't have it hard. They have it hard. We don't have it hard. But he says in verse 24, this famous verse, he says, none of these things move me. You know, that even though all these things are going to happen, even though he's got an idea of what's coming his way, that he's not going to see these guys again, um, it doesn't push Paul off the course the Lord has for him. It doesn't change his mind. He keeps going. He sets his face, um, like the scripture might say, like a flint uh, towards Jerusalem to go and get this over with and get through it and, and serve what the, the Lord would have for him. Um, and I think we all need to imitate that in a sense that when God does place something before us, even if it looks hard, even if we don't want to do it, that we need to go and do it. You know, and he says here that he doesn't count his life dear to himself. And I think that that's a good thing to take away that if he doesn't count it dear to himself, he knows that the Lord counts his life dear. Precious is the death of the saints in the eyes of the Lord, the scripture would say. Um, you know, I think that he has confidence in God to do the right thing that even if this is a hard season or even if he ends up dying that he knows that god has got the right mission in mind and that he's not going to turn from that no matter what people say no matter what his fears are no matter what his past experience is um he presses forward and he says here he wants to finish his race with joy his course in life a marathon you know he he knows that his life is drawing near an end he doesn't know when it's going to happen but I think he gets the sense that this is his final season and he wants to finish it with joy. And I wonder, how are we going to finish our lives? You know, will we even finish? 
Will we have joy? Or are we going to have weeping and gnashing of teeth? And I think that all of us in here would have joy. But man, you know, at any moment, there could be something in our life. The enemy is going to throw things at us, want us to, to turn away and go away. And, uh, but that's not what God would have us do. You know, he says that the ministry received from Jesus, and that ministry was to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, I think that ministry is a gift and calling from Jesus. It can't be taken. It's only received. Uh, but really, what is the heart of the ministry, as Paul points out here? It's that it's speaking the gospel of grace of God, that any ministry that he has, the heart of it is getting the gospel out. And the gospel is, the heart of the gospel is God's grace to people. It's the message of God's grace through Jesus. And I think that along with these things, you know, serving with humility goes along with knowing that. It goes along with knowing that the gospel is a calling that's given by grace, but it's also giving grace to others. Remembering that the people who are receiving this message need to hear grace. That we're not going to come and beat them, but we're going to share um, the gospel with them. We're going to be gracious with them. We're going to care for them and minister to them. But verse 25, he says, he knows they won't, they won't see him anymore. You know, Paul's certain that he's not going to be returning this way. I don't know that he's certain that he's nearing the end of his life. I get the sense that he gets that. But he knows at least he's not going to be back to see these guys before. Um, you know, and again, God will give us warning and instruction or a preview of the seasons ahead. And I think we need to heed them. You know, sometimes we look at the, the forecast for the week to try and get an idea of what the weather is going to be like. Or people get the farmer's almanac trying to determine what's coming next. But when God gives us these instructions, um, we need to heed them. And we need to be obedient to them no matter what um, the outlook is. Let's go on to verse 26 uh, to the end of the chapter here. It says, um, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent in the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, therefore, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who are with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. You know, therefore, what is it there for? <laughs> Verse 26. Um, it's because of all this. Because of all these things that Paul shared, he testifies that he's innocent of the blood of all men. He says, um, Therefore, I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all men because of all these things, because of the way I've lived, because I've shared publicly and privately, because I've, I've gone through these things and I haven't taken money from anyone. Um, I've worked hard, um, you know, that he's innocent of the blood of all men. He's faithfully shared the gospel completely and accurately in his life and in his message with everyone that God has given him to do so. You know, I don't think that Paul stopped everyone on the street. He probably stopped a lot of people. But the people that he was giving care over he cared for and he washed over and he says that he gave him verse 27 the whole counsel of god 
I think that's so important, especially in our day and age, that when we do share, it's a whole scripture. It's every scripture. It's verse by verse, the way we, uh, you know, Calvary does it, or certain uh, movements do it. Uh, it's not these little sermonettes for Christianettes, that when we share with someone, we give them the whole counsel. It's not just God loves you, but that God loves you, and he died for you, and he died for you because of sin, and he doesn't want you to face the punishment and the death that sin brings. Not just God loves you unconditionally. You know, people take that, and we've seen in the way the world goes, without the whole counsel of God, they go way off on that and end up not knowing God. You know, the world doesn't get the whole gospel. And if it's not the whole gospel, it's not the gospel. And he goes on, he says, uh, again in verse 28, he says, um, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you. You know, he knows that it's important for them to step up, and he wants them to be aware that they need to step up. In his absence, they need to step up. And, and in the transition in leadership in New York, that's the way it was, that the elders and the deacons needed to step up. And God provided a pastor, and we oversaw the transition of all that going on. Uh, but we knew that, that they needed to step up, because otherwise, people who were false would step up. People who were false would come up from within them, and wolves would come without. You know, uh, a wolf is going to want to get in there as soon as they don't see the fence up, or as soon as they don't see a person around, or there's not a fire anymore, they're going to get in there and try and eat the sheep. Um, and that's the same way. If there's no leader, if there's no spiritual leadership in the home, there's no spiritual leadership in society, there's no spiritual leadership in the church, people are going to come up and, and take people away and draw people away. People are going to come in from the outside and destroy. Um, and thankfully, that hasn't gone on in New York. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that as the leadership changed and moved, that God raised up people from him in the church, that God brought in a, a strong and healthy leadership there. Um, to take care of it. And I think it's important that, that we are good, strong spiritual leaders, that we would take oversight of um, the church that is among us. You know, that's important that we don't beat the sheep. Um, you know, that when we do share the gospel, we do remember that people need grace, people need love, um, and people need to be cared for. You know, and again, that these things weren't reasons for Paul to say, yeah, they need leadership. Yeah, Paul knew that these things were going to happen. But it wasn't a reason for it to stay. He knew that God had these people in place to take care of it and to do it, that he didn't need to do it all himself um, because God had called him to go uh, to Jerusalem and to go on and, and suffer other things. And he tells them to watch. He tells them, therefore, uh, to watch, you know, to remember that for three years he didn't cease to warn everyone night and day, you know, that as these things are going to happen, we need to be watchful of them. As spiritual leaders, we need to be watchful of the spiritual times and of what's going on um, around us. But he gives grace there. He gives grace. But he says that he didn't care about the money. He didn't care about coveted what they had or what they were. You know, he didn't care about the money. And I think that many false teachers do care about the money. Paul worked hard. He was only to be bivocational or trivocational, whatever it took to support his mission. Um, you know, he didn't ask for a gift from anyone. I'm sure if someone wanted to bless him with it, maybe he allowed it. But I'm sure that in a sense, Paul would rather bless someone else um, because he knew that it was better to give than to receive and that's so much so true in the gospel you know to be able to share the gospel freely to not be bound and say hey i need you to pay me five dollars when i come share the gospel with you to not feel that bind to freely share the gospel with people and give it um, no matter what the personal cost um, there's a blessing in there um, there's a blessing in there but he prayed and they cried and i think you know how hard that is the last time you're going to see someone especially someone that close to you who you love who's a spiritual influence on you, 
Um, you know, I'm sure uh, college or moving for a job, you know, you all have this uh, hope of seeing them again, but knowing that you're not going to see them again, you know, that's, that's hard. That's hard. You know, I think that at least as believers, they had to hope for heaven. The hope for heaven, you know, that, um, you know, even if people do leave our lives, even if they are going to die and pass away as believers, that we know that we're going to see them once again, once again. Uh, but as we close here, I think we need to be willing to be bound in the spirit that no matter where God would call us, no matter where God would have us go, no matter what the season looks like in front of us or that we're in, that we'd be willing to go forward in it. You know, if Paul was willing to do it, we need to be willing to do it. And I think Paul's willing to do it because Jesus was willing to do it. If you remember Jesus in the garden, he prayed and he wept and he suffered because he was willing to do what the Father had asked him to do, what the will of God was for him. And that's not always easy, you know. A lot of times we think Christian life is going to be easy. It's going to get easier. But I think um, in my brief experience, I think in a sense, it's only going to get harder. It's only going to get harder. Yeah, there's certain things that are easier and maybe we experience more blessing in it. But I think the longer we progress in this race, the harder it's going to get. Maybe the more tired you're going to get. You know, I think Paul wants to finish his race with joy. I've never raced a marathon. I can't imagine running 26.2 miles. But I guarantee that the strength you have at the beginning of the race it's not the same strength you have at the end of the race. Beginning of the race is probably hopeful and expectant and you're ready to go. But by the end of the race, you know, people's bodies are turning on them. Um, and I think that's the same way as we go forward with the Lord. The closer we get towards the end, it might be harder. It might be harder to go through. There might be harder things to go through. Um, you know, I'm not going to take that as de facto. I haven't reached the end yet. But I would think that, man, the more responsibility we take on, the more things we know, um, the more wisdom God gives us, sometimes the harder it gets. I've heard, I said, you know, that, um, you know, when you have a lot of wisdom, sometimes you don't have a lot of joy because the wisdom is, is revealing things to you about life and about situations that it's kind of hard to be joyful about. You know, if you don't read the news, if you're oblivious, you have your head in the sand to the, the current state of the world, it's kind of easy to be joyful. But if you pay attention to the news for a little bit, you kind of get sad or mad or frustrated or brokenhearted or just want to go home. And I think that's the same way as we follow the Lord and seek the Lord. The more he shows us, the more he guides us, the more he leads us, especially in hard times, um, we need to turn to him uh, for the strength to continue and to be willing to be bound. You know, because God's not going to hold us to it. God's not going to hold us to it physically. You know, we can turn and run, but I think that God would always pursue us because um, being bound to him is better than being bound um, to anything else. And Father, we ask that this morning, uh, God, uh, you would we would bind ourselves to you, God, that we would allow the things that you're binding us to and uh, that we have to do, so to speak, for the gospel, that we would do them with joy. Give us joy, Lord. And, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, just come soon, but help us be faithful to the end. And, and God, would you reach people? Would you reach the lost? Would you bring your gospel to the hurting and the broken? And God, would you help us to uh, be willing to go and say, and suffer whatever it takes. And I know that that's easy to say and scary to say, um, but God, we know that others in this world are doing it for you every day. So we pray that you would be with them and you would bind up their hearts and strengthen them. But God, help them not turn back. And God, we pray for them that you cover them and meet their needs. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.